God has been coming through the prophet Haggai as we have uh, looked at this little bitty book that's about two pages long in most of your Bibles. And the word of the Lord has come unto Haggai twice. This is the third time today. And, to, and next Sunday, we'll look at the fourth oracle in which God has spoken to the prophet Haggai. So today, if you will, stand with me. We're going to read verses 10 through 19. Stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading from the New King James. That's what you'll see on the screen. Starting there in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, we'll walk through verse 19. On the 24th day in the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any one of these, referring back to the bread, the oil, wine, or any food, uh, if anyone, excuse me, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any one of these, will it become unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Verse 15. And now carefully consider from this day forward. From before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths for the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hell in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you will bless us, Lord. That you desire us to be holy. For us to be holy, Lord, we've got to repent. And for us to repent, Lord, we've got to trust that you are good and you will guide our lives and you will bless us. God, I pray, Lord, today that as we consider our ways, Lord, that we will consider our way of being holy. God, we'll consider our way of repentance, God, and we will consider our way of trusting you because you are good. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that is not trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, God, that today will be the day that they'll place their faith and trust in you. They will turn from their wickedness, which is called repentance, God, and they will turn to you, Lord, and they will be saved by your holy saving power in hand. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, as we look at this text, it starts off very similar as the previous oracles that have come from God starts off. He gives us a date. And the first time the Lord came unto Haggai, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai, was the 29th of August, 520 B.C. And then the second time was the 17th of October, 520 B.C., a couple of months later. 
And then a couple of months after that, the 18th, which is right now, the 18th of December, 520 B.C. This is the third oracle that God has given to Haggai along this little path that we have here. Now, what Haggai had to give from the Lord unto the people is a big message. They had been walking through the fact that the people had gotten so self-consumed with their own lives that they had abandoned the building of the temple. We can go back to Ezra chapter 3 and Ezra's, Ezra chapters 1 through 6 and we can see where God had allowed for them to come back through King Cyrus to be able to rebuild the temple. And he says you can rebuild it. And all the, all, everything they needed to rebuild it was there. But when they came back, some were discouraged because once they laid the foundation, they saw that this foundation was not going to be this, this temple was not going to be as immaculate nor as beautiful as Solomon's temple. So your older folks that had come back, the remnant that had come back, were sad. The younger people were happy. They were like, we've got the temple started. So they were rejoicing and excited. There were mixed emotions. And a lot of times in our lives, over different events that happens in the church, a lot of times there are mixed emotions, right? You know, we can remember, boy, this was great back then. Oh, but... And we can't really understand how great it is now that what we've got. So the people that are younger that are seeing new things start. Wow, this is great. While some of your older folks at times will say, I remember when things used to be great. Well, you know what? God's great all the time. So let's, let's quit worrying about the programs or the facilities. Now, don't get me wrong. The reason why God wasn't blessing them because they weren't worried about those things. But God wanted those things because that's where he resided. He would reside there. This was before the Holy Spirit came. So the Holy Spirit wasn't residing as we know it today in our temples. The body of the Holy, our body is where the Holy Spirit resides. So God needed the temple to be built so that he may take pleasure in it and glory in it. And he may get glory from it. So they needed to get this rebuilt. And so on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law saying. Now look here, he doesn't say Zerubbabel. He doesn't say Zerubbabel or uh, Joshua. Now I had some folks saying that they think I just like to say those big names over and over again. So you won't hear me say that very often today. That's a joke. Uh, but at the same time, you won't hear me say those big names very often today because they're not even mentioned here. He says, ask the priest. Why is that? Because the priest knew what the ceremonial process should be. So he, the Lord tells Haggai to ask them a question concerning the law. The priests were supposed to be the most knowledgeable people, most knowledgeable people of the law. So he says unto them, and this is kind of interesting because I always think it's kind of curious about why he'd be toting meat in his garment. But let's look here at verse 12. If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. Now, we need to consider our way of holiness. Now, I'm going to go through all three of these, this scripture right here, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. And we're going to understand that first we talk about holiness, then we talk about uncleanliness, and then we talk about the application of how that affects our lives, whether we're living in holiness or living in uncleanliness. 
We need to be living in holiness, pursuing that. It says, if one carries holy meat, holy means to be set apart. You know, the scripture tells us, matter of fact, we read it this morning, if you were in the Explore the Bible curriculum, it says, we are a holy and beloved people. We are a chosen people, holy and beloved, is what that scripture said this morning. That means that we are set apart. We are called to something that is glorious. We are called to something that is God-worthy. Because listen, this is what uh, John Webster wrote in his book called Holiness. He said, God's holiness is proper to him. Indeed, it is him. For he is originally holy. There is none holy but God. And nothing can become holy without God saying it is holy. God is holiness. He is the only attribute named of God three times is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. He is completely set apart from anything else. There is none like him. No, not one. He is holy. And so what this is talking about is, okay, this meat that was ceremonial meat was, I don't know, I read so many commentaries, but nobody really gave any explanation why a a priest would be walking around tucking holy meat in his pocket. You know, like, did he like Slim Jims and stuff like this? I don't know. But, But he's got holy meat tucked away in the hem of his garment. And like, so what it's saying is, is the holiness of that meat does not make the robe holy. It doesn't make it holy. If God had given me uh, a little loaf, or, uh, loaf that we use, the little bread that we use for the Lord's Supper, and I tucked one away in my jacket, and because we pray over it and because we view it as consecrated, set apart for a special time, it don't make my jacket set apart. It doesn't make my jacket holy. Listen, holiness is not transferable. Holiness is not transferable. It can't be like, I'm holy, so I touch you, you become holy. No. The only person that could transfer holiness is God. God alone is holy. It's kind of like this illustration J.A. Moyer gave. Moiter. He said, if you touch something with a dirty hand, you will leave a dirty mark. But if you touch something with a clean hand, you will not leave a clean mark. Right? Holiness is not transferable, but uncleanliness is. God wants everything that we put our hands to, to be pure and holy. Where does that start? It starts with a holy, right relationship with God. It begins with God. He, it's proper to him, as John Webster wrote. I like that. Matter of fact, Henson and Mitchell said this, holiness is a personal issue and could not be transferred to the people simply by their participation in sacrifice and ritual. Holiness can't be transferred that way. Holiness isn't transferred just by sitting in a pew. Holiness isn't transferred just by sitting in a chair in your Sunday school class. Holiness begins in the word of God that is given by a holy God so that you and I can know his holy life and live according to it. I am not holy apart from God. Only part of holiness I have is when I'm pursuing him. Our scripture today said, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on those things which are above. What is that? That is holiness. Where are they? They are above. They're set apart. They're different. We are to be different. 
We are to be holy, set apart from this world. But so many times we are defiled and we, we put ourselves in this place where we say, I am not enough, which we're not enough, but through Christ we are more than conquerors. But with Christ, we don't have to be unclean. We've been washed, as our scripture said. We are dead to our sinful nature. But yet we resurrect it like we've got some kind of power. We bring our old life back. We say, come on back, sexual immorality. Come on back, lust. Come on back, greed. Come on back, anger. Come on back, malice. All these things we talked about this morning. Put those things to death. And put on holiness and pursue Christ. Because you're not going to get it by rubbing up next to me. You're not going to get holiness by that. You might get some friction and some static, but you're not going to get holiness. You might get a little defilement. You might get that. You know, I've heard it said and I've seen it. Matter of fact, and unfortunately, I bought them like this. I didn't realize it. You buy a little pack of those strawberries in the little plastic casing. You know what I'm saying? Whether you buy them at Walmart or Aldi or Sons or wherever you do your shopping, you buy those little strawberries. When you get home, you didn't check it as thoroughly as you wished you would have. You look down there in the bottom and there's this crusty looking white film all over your strawberry. And you're like, oh man. And you get to looking and you see about three or four of them that's been touching it. And now they've got them on there. Because defilement can be transferred. One bad apple Ruins the bunch or spoils the bunch. So you got to chunk that one apple and the other ones that have touched it. We desire to be holy as he is holy. I read several different books this week, or at least portions of books. Let me just make that sound a whole lot better and more honest. I read portions of a whole lot of books. Uh, Holiness by R.C. Sproul. I read Holiness by J.C. Ryle. I read Holiness by John Webster. Uh, And I read a lot of different commentaries trying to prepare my mind for this so that you'll understand. Holiness is what we aspire to. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting holiness above Jesus. Jesus is holy. We we, we desire to live our life like Christ. But to live a life like Christ, we've got to live through holiness. And to be holy, what do we need to do? We need to repent. We will have sin. We are defiled people. We are defiled people. Every day we make mistakes. If you don't make a mistake every day, more power to you. Glory to God. But that's not me. So I've got to repent. Like I said, there's three points to this sermon. Consider your ways in holiness. Consider your ways in repentance. And consider your way in trusting. And every one of those is a building block. And it works almost backwards uh, from the back to the front. If you trust God and you believe that He's going to do what He says He's going to do, you're going to repent because you want to live in right living with Him. And if you repent of the sin, then you're going to be what? Holy. You're desiring holiness. We need to consider our ways. These guys in, in, in verses 10 through 19, and we're fixing to get into that in this next little portion about repentance, we understand that what they put their hands to was not doing much. It wasn't doing much. They weren't accomplishing. They were getting a little bit out of it. But who likes to do something full full on and only get a little return from it? Who wants to? Who of you wants to go work your job, work hard, work hard, work hard, and you only get a, a, like forty to thirty percent of your salary? You want to do that? No, you want to get one hundred percent of what you worked for. 
These guys were out there and they were doing things. They were planting crops and they were anticipating things to come back in, in fullness. But it was not. Why is that? Because they were not repenting of their sins. They still had not really gotten on board with rebuilding this temple yet. Because some of them were still discouraged. Oh, this ain't like it used to be. This temple ain't like it used to be. It's hard for me to get involved. It's hard for me to get passionate about it. Forget the past. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that we don't learn from the past, but quit living in it. Learn from it. Don't live in it. Because if you live in it, you're not living in today. You're not going to learn what's good today because you're too busy living in the past. Learn from it. Live in today. Live for the glory of God. Look at what it goes on to say there in verse 13. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body. Now, listen, we all know in Leviticus Chapters, uh, chapter 22, verses 4 through 6, in Numbers 19, uh, 11 through 16, it talks about that ceremonial uncleanliness. And listen, he, he goes into pretty, pretty graphic detail, especially there in Leviticus. But in Numbers, it's talking about touching a dead body and all that kind of stuff like that and how you need to set apart for seven days. And if anybody touches that man, they've got to set apart for seven days. It was quite important to be clean, to be set apart, to be holy. Why is that? Because God's got a work for you and me to do. God's got a work for me and you to do. And if we're constantly choosing sin over holiness, then God's never going to call on you to do any work. God's not going to call on you to do any work. If he's constantly, if we're choosing sin over the Savior, he's going to choose somebody else over us to do the work of the Lord. We need to be holy and set apart. And then the things we set our hearts to and our minds to thinking, I'm doing this for the Lord. You're only getting a small return back from it. You know why? Because you've been pursuing self and sin and society over the Savior. And, and we're going to find that out here in just a minute. But listen, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest said, answered and said, it shall be unclean. Listen, defilement can be transferred. H. Wolf once said, one can catch a cold from someone else, but it is impossible to catch good health from another. I can't sneeze feeling well on you, can I? But I can sneeze sickness on you. Pretty disgusting illustration. Anyway, uh, but that's the fact. Just like holiness can't be transferred, so you know, good health can't be transferred. I can give you all the resources for it. I can tell you, take this, drink that, you know, take this vitamin, avoid this, avoid that. That's what we do at the church, right? Follow Jesus. Read your Bible. Pray. Study. You know, bad company corrupts good character. Get away from folks that are tearing you down. I can tell you all that. But until you begin pursuing it, seeking those things, setting your mind on those things, it ain't going to make a hill of beans what I say to you or what we offer you or what the Lord offers you for that matter. Then Haggai said unto them there in verse 14, now, he said unto them, we give it number 14. Then Haggai said, answer said to them, so is this people. And so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Listen, John MacArthur says this, their sin had caused their sacrifices to be contaminated and ineffectual. And their good works, their offerings could not transmit cleanliness. Wearsby said the people could not impart holiness to the temple, but they definitely could defile it by their sins. 
We can't bring holiness to the temple. You know, we can't make the temple holy. But what we can do, we can defile it. God makes the temple holy. It's God's work to make us holy. We follow His commands. We obey Him. We do as He says. But He ultimately is the one who consecrates and sets things apart and makes them holy. we got to consider our ways in holiness. Look here at the second set of verses, verses 15 through 17. We need to consider our ways in repentance. Consider our ways in repentance. And now, carefully consider from this day forward. From before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you. Listen to this. God says, I struck you with blight and mildew and hell in all the labors of your hands. And what did the people do? It's what they did not do. You did not turn to me, says the Lord. When we look at this, God, from the hardship, God was calling out to them and they did not return. From the hardship, God was calling out to them, turn away. It's much like that of the flood. The people saw the rain coming. Noah warned them. They saw the rain coming. And honestly, the Bible, uh, every indication is that it had not rained on the earth yet. So the people are like, what is this wet stuff falling from the sky? I know we joke about that from time to time here in Alabama. What is this wet stuff from the sky? Now, we ain't had much of a problem with that this year. But, you know, we joke about that. But these folks were literal. Like, what is this wet stuff falling from the sky? Noah has told you there's a flood coming. And they didn't listen. They didn't turn. They didn't listen. And then by the time they decided to turn, it was too late. There is a timetable in God's working of grace and mercy. And he'll give you opportunity. He'll give you opportunity. But he's not obligated to keep coming back and back and back. God has no obligation to that. You get to hear the gospel. You, in your heart of hearts, has got to make a decision. What am I going to do with the grace of God? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to turn? This is a hardship in my life. What am I going to do? Am I going to turn to Christ? Or am I going to keep doing what I've always done? Which I've always heard is insanity. If you keep doing what you've always done, expecting a different outcome, that's insanity. That's what these folks were doing. And he's saying, turn. You see that when you come to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When you came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. What in the world are you thinking? Turn. He says there, verse 17, I struck you. So many people saying, the devil's putting this on me. It might be that you have been forsaking the Lord in your life and pursuing yourself And God is saying, come back to me. And the only way I'm going to do it is to make it hard. Right there where you think you've got it good, I'm going to make it hard. I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to make it hard on you. And I want you to turn and look to me. He said, I've done these things. I struck you with blight. What is that? That's the burning of their crops or the scorching of their crops. He says, I brought the mildew. I mean, these are on polar opposites of what this means. 
The, the, the blight is the scorching or the burning of the crops. The mildew is excessive moisture. And what it does, it, it messes up the crops. And it also causes discoloration to the vegetables and the fruit. He says, I did that. I struck you with blight and mildew. And I struck you with hail in all the labors of your hands. Do you realize that when we look at this in verse 16, just stepping back up one verse, that's 50 to 60% of the harvest have been lost due to a lack of repentance. Due to a lack of repentance. Could you imagine how, how much better our lives would be if we would just repent? If we would just repent and turn away from our selfishness and our self-driven goals and look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, and what He can do in and through our lives for His glory, for His pleasure, and for our good. Can we only imagine if we would repent and turn away from wickedness and selfishness, which drives the majority of our world today. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't do this for me, and it doesn't do that for me. It's not about what things do for you. It's about what it does for the Lord. And if you'll do those things for the Lord, God will do good things for you. I am not the sustainer of my life. The Scripture told us this morning that you are dead. When you profess Christ, you're dead to the sinful nature of the old man. For anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone, and behold, all things have become new. Turn away from sin. And can you imagine the blessings that God will put on your life for His glory and for His pleasure? We've got to repent. He says, yet you did not turn to me. The problems were paths to repentance. Their problems were paths to repentance. And look there in the last set of verses, verses 18 and 19. The word of the Lord says through the prophet Haggai, Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, that's the 18th of December, 520 B.C., from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, Consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? That seems like a random question, you know, to me. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. What does this mean? I'm telling you, it took me a while. It took a lot of reading to figure this thing out. But what it's saying here, is the seed still in the barn? See, by December, all of the seed had already been planted in the ground. All the seed by the people had already been planted in the ground. They had already been going out and only getting back 50 to 60. They, they were only getting back, really, uh, 50 to 40% of the return on what they had put out. These folks were getting nervous. They were getting nervous. Our livelihood is at stake. But God said, what did you do? You did what you always do. You faithfully put out the seed before December. You did what you're supposed to do. But this is the deal. Let me tell you what else you're supposed to do. You're supposed to repent. Now you're trusting now. The Lord says, as yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. Listen, there's seed in the ground, right? We are to continue to scatter the seed 
regardless of what the outcome may be. We continue to scatter the seed. We put it in the ground, trusting the Lord of the harvest is going to come through. We may not be seeing it right now. Maybe you are in your life. Praise God. But some of you may not. Keep putting the seed in the ground. Keep trusting the Lord. Consider your ways in trusting. God is still God and God is still good. Scripture tells us in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God's interests first and he'll take care of the rest. Put God's interests first. Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes we think, oh, I put God's interests first. I woke up this morning and made it to worship. And that's the only thing you do with God all week. Can I just tell you this? That's not putting the interest of God. That's checking a box. If I can just be blatantly honest with you, that's, that's not putting the interest of God first. You want to put the interest of God first? Wake up in the morning, study the Word of God. Or before you go to bed, study the Word of God. Take time out every day. Call somebody. Touch base with somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus. That's putting the interest of God first. Seek first His righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know, if they were to have done that, and also, right here, Haggai was reminding the people of the promise God gave Solomon of the dedication of the temple, which says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. That's what Wearsby says. Listen, if we want God to bless what we're doing, we need to faithfully pursue Him. Faithfully put the seed out and trust the Lord that He will bless us. Now, when I say bless, I ain't some prosperity preacher. I ain't thinking that God's going to give you millions of bucks if you sow a seed of blah, 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 or, or all this gobbledygook. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of trash you see on TV all the time. But I'll tell you this, you can trust God. You can trust Him. He says, I will bless you if you will faithfully continue doing what I've called you to do. But I've also told you, I'm not going to bless you if you don't repent. We know we're all sinners. Some already saved by grace, some may not be already. But we're all sinners. So we've all got to repent. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's every one of us. So we've all got to repent. Keep being faithful. And as you're being faithful, you're going to pursue holiness. And you're going to desire God's goodness in your life. And he says, I will bless you. God's got wonderful promises for us. If we will trust him. If we will repent. And if we will walk in holiness. He's got wonderful promises for us. But I'll tell you this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, He says, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 